I would love to do everything I can to get people to understand that just because we should make an idol of politics doesn't mean we don't bring the gospel into politics. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Today's Candid Conversation is with author, speaker, and radio host, Eric Metaxas. He's written humor, children's books, and scripts for VeggieTales. He is the founder and host of the New York City-based event series, Socrates in the City, Conversations on the Examined Life, and the host of the nationally syndicated radio program, The Eric Metaxas Show. We had a great conversation, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. Eric Metaxas, thank you for coming on to Candid Podcast. Thrilled to be here. You've just preached here at the Church of the Apostles, and one of the things that you talked about is this balance of faith and politics. Some people would say that those two things should be separated. Yes. Others think that politics should be their faith. Right. Walk us through those two extreme right. reactions and then the path through the middle that you've kind of come yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, it's not complicated. I'm always fascinated how people kind of get stuck on one or the other, both of which are wrong, right? Anybody who says that faith and politics should be separate does not understand faith or politics because if you tell somebody like William Wilberforce, uh, oh, Keep your faith out of politics and don't bother about the slave trade and the abomination of human beings being treated worse than dirt. Don't bother about that. Just go to church and pray. I, you know, somebody like that, I would say, what gospel do you believe in that you don't care about the people suffering in slavery? Now, that's a dramatic example, but you could say the same thing with the Bonhoeffer story. I mean, if you don't care about the Jews being taken to the death camps, what kind of a Christian are you? You're a religious hypocrite. You're not a Christian. If you look at the whole counsel of Scripture, it is so clear we're supposed to do everything we can to help people who are suffering. It doesn't matter if they're Christians or not. The Good Samaritan is the example, okay? He is not a Jew, and he does what God commends him for, for caring about the stranger who's his neighbor, right? So politics inevitably bumps up against our faith. So the idea that you can keep them separate is just a joke. Now, if you talk about worshiping politics, there are people who think, I can achieve utopia through politics. As Christians, we know that is not possible, that only Jesus can get us to heaven and only the kingdom of God is perfect. And so the idea that I could somehow do it through regulations and laws or whatever, it's just stupid. But to say that I'm not going to vote, if you care about the poor, and we're commanded to care about the poor, you better figure out who you think is going to have policies that are going to help the poor get out of poverty and have the freedom to uh, get an education and to get a job and whatever. And if you don't vote for that person... God holds you accountable. He's saying, why did you sit on your hands? I gave you the freedom to vote. I put you in a country with freedom. You have to exercise your freedom. Otherwise, evil will prevail. And there are many Christians, as you say, they have this idea that somehow they don't want to get their hands dirty with politics. And I I feel like 
those Christians kind of think they're holier than Jesus or holier than Paul. I mean, Paul invokes his Roman citizenship. He says, I'm a Roman citizen. He's invoking his rights as a Roman citizen. And he understands the authority of the state and the, the a value of citizenship. And, you know, this, that's what Scripture teaches from beginning to end, that it's a little complicated, right? So those of us in America who have the freedom to do whatever we want, we can curse the president, we can preach the gospel, we can do whatever we want because we're free. Most people around the world do not have these freedoms. And so we are obliged to use our freedoms for God's purposes. Sometimes that means getting political. If you don't vote for someone and the other person gets in and that other person has oppressive policies uh, toward the poor or has anti-American policies or is in this day and age is working with cultural Marxists to destroy all the freedoms we have, you're responsible. We must understand that not making an idol of politics is a far cry from ignoring politics. A free people, as we are in America, we have a responsibility to look at the situation and say, I need to vote for the person that is actually going to do their best to bless people. And if you don't do that and that wicked person gets in, or maybe they're not a wicked person, maybe they're just a misguided person, but all the harm that comes out of that, it's because you didn't vote. And I know in California, tons of evangelical Christians didn't vote in the election, and there was a born-again believer running against uh, the now Governor Newsom. And I thought to myself, it's because Christians didn't vote that you're having all kinds of crazy stuff happening right now. And so I I really, I would love to do everything I can to, to get people to understand that just because we should make an idol of politics doesn't mean we don't bring the gospel into politics. We're obliged to bring the gospel into politics. What do you think is contributing to Christians abstaining from voting or steering clear of those conversations? Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of simple. Like, nobody likes to be disliked. Everybody wants to be popular. And it's, it's, a, you know, it's a satanic temptation that we all suffer from. I'm not excluding myself. I remember when I was in college kind of getting the message, like, yeah, those Christians or those conservatives, like, they're bad. And so if you want to be cool, you kind of just avoid them, right? Well, there are people today who they saw what happened, you know, with the rise of the moral majority and that kind of culture war, and they just go, oh, I don't like that. I want my, my neighbors to like me, and I want my kids to like me. And I, think, and I get that. Sure. But in life, you have a responsibility to the truth. And there are people that bled and died and were tortured for the truth. And in this country, we kind of think like, well, I don't, I don't need to go through that. Well, you might need to say something when it's inconvenient to say it. You might need to not say something when people are telling you, you better say this. You better say Black Lives Matter and take a knee right now. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. This is a free country. I believe Black Lives Matter. But I also believe the organization called Black Lives Matter and this movement, they don't care about black lives. That's a lot of talk. They're using this situation and they are pushing forward a culturally Marxist agenda, which is going to hurt black people worse than anything. But they are convincing a lot of woke white people, uh, oh, you better jump on with this. In America, there's a time when you have to say, I'm not going to go along with that because this is a free country. 
And if you don't like me, God looks at my heart. I know that I care about people. So you could say I don't, but I know I do, and God is my judge. And I think that America is, we have had so much freedom that we forget there's a price to be paid. And like right now, we're, we're, we're seeing that, that there's a price to be paid, that sometimes you're going to have to speak up. Mm. Sometimes you're going to have to say, I'm not going along with that. There are people in corporate settings right now that are being bullied yeah. to go along with stuff. Yeah. And I think to myself, if you really care about black people, you will never give a dime to Black Lives Matter, the organization, because that money is not going to help black people. Mm-hmm. If you really care about black people in America, you will not patronize a company that is giving money to them. Because what they're doing is they're giving money to cultural Marxist organizations. There's a ton of them. Shelby Steele, a, a black uh, scholar, wrote a book called White Guilt, and he talks about this, how right. you can use white guilt to bully people into yeah. doing stuff that actually hurts blacks but makes the white people feel good about what they did. And that's what's happening in corporate America right now. Yeah. I just was watching uh, uh, the American Movie Channel, uh, AMC, the other day, and they had a big thing that, you know, we support this and we support... And I thought, what? Like, you're, you're, you're effectively telling me that you are going to use the ad revenue that I'm helping you get to support stuff that I think is going gonna, is gonna to hurt black people, you know? And so we're living in weird times, and we need to be aware that saying, oh, I'm just going to stay out of politics, you don't really have that option. And if you think you do, I'm sorry to say you, you don't. Yeah. Speaking of responsibility and freedom, your book, um, If You Can Keep It, is the phrase given by Ben Franklin to the lady who asked her, what are you going to give us, a monarchy or a republic? And yeah. he says a republic. And, and a lot of this is determined based on freedom. Do people not want freedom today? I don't think people appreciate freedom. In other words, if you've had so much freedom, you kind of think it's normal, and you don't think it can go away. Because my parents came from from Europe during the war, they know very well, and they taught me to understand that what we have in America, this is not normal. If you think this is normal, you're crazy, go travel. You will see around the world... You want to speak your mind, they will throw you in a scummy jail. Not a nice jail like in America. You will be threatened physically in that jail. You'll be lucky to get out. That's the world. And in America, we have been so blessed that we, in a way, have gotten spoiled. We don't understand that people died so we could have these freedoms. And so part of why I wrote the book, If You Can Keep It, is to say to every American, you need to know what's in this book. You need to know the price that's been paid. You need to know your job in continuing to pay that price in a much smaller way than most people pay. But you need, you need to get this. You need to pass this on to your kids, to your neighbors. Because if you don't, we will slide away from what we have and you will pretty quickly see that we're going to lose all of these things. And so we need to know what we have, treasure it, prize it, be good stewards of it, preserve it, teach it. It is very fragile and and it goes away. And I really feel like the book, if you can keep it, is a wake-up call to my fellow Americans because I didn't get this myself. Even 10 years ago, I didn't really get it. And once I got it, I thought, oh my gosh, if I miss this, my whole generation has missed this. Everybody younger than me has missed this. 
That's why we're losing America, because we used to get this in our bones because it was passed on. Something happened around the 60s where we ceased to value the liberty of this country and patriotism kind of went out of fashion in many circles. And, you know, you want to say to people, hey, I'm not telling you to worship the flag, but do you know what life is like in China? Do you want to preach about Jesus on the street corner in China? Do you know what they'll do to you? Do you know what life is like in the, in the Muslim world? You, you, you want to talk about Jesus? You need to understand what we have here is a gift from God. We don't deserve it. We need to treasure it, preserve it, and try to spread it around the world. That's why I wrote the book, If You Can Keep It, and the subtitle is The Forgotten Promise of American Liberty. It is so beautiful and it's so amazing, and it's a crime that we forgot it. It's like somebody whose parents you know, blessed them immeasurably and, and they don't even talk to their parents. And you'd be like, do you have any idea? You wouldn't even be here. They raised you. They did all these things for you. Like you need to acknowledge that you would not have anything that you have today if it weren't for them. And that's how I feel about the United States. We need to appreciate what we have because so many people around the world would do anything to have what we have. I think in the book, one of the main criteria for understanding freedom is really this concept of self-governing right which is a which is a biblical concept right oh yeah um having self-control it's it is fruit of the spirit yeah you turn on the news at any point right now yeah you see a total lack of self-governing yeah what's contributing to that and and proliferating that well i mean we've ceased teaching virtue in the schools for it's got to be 50 years now right it's definitely not promoted in the media, right? The media is definitely glorifying sex and violence. I mean, can you find anywhere a program that says sex is for marriage? Like, that is that is so gone. So the message you're getting over and over and over again is antithetical to God's plan for us. And the founders knew that there was no way for us to have the freedom to govern ourselves, to be our own masters. I mean, we the people would govern ourselves. There is no way without virtue, without teaching kids that you must be virtuous, you must answer to a higher authority. It's not about what you want. It is absolutely about knowing that if you don't do the right thing and govern yourselves, then the whole society will fall apart. So we need to inculcate virtue. And the founding fathers all understood that virtue comes from faith. Now think about this. You don't hear anything about that in schools because we say, oh, the separation of church and state. The founding fathers didn't even say what faith. They just said, if you see people of faith, they govern themselves. They don't steal. Crime goes down. When faith goes up, when they saw revival under George Whitfield preaching, Crime went down, and they began to see a people capable of governing themselves. We know in this day and age that most people aren't capable of governing themselves because they haven't had that. You know, when we talked a couple of years ago about the Arab Spring, like, hey, we're just going to free them from the tyrants, and shazam, they're going to govern themselves. Why? The, we in America had been prepared through British law, through knowledge of the scriptures, through a whole bunch of things We'd been prepared to govern ourselves. And even then it was a question, is it going to work? But if you just go to people that have been under tyrants, their muscles for self-government have atrophied totally. They've just done what they're told. So once they're free, they're not going to know. You, you need to 
train them and teach them. And a big part of that is the Christian faith. Now, that that's all gets into a bigger conversation, but it's fascinating to me that you have conservatives and liberals misunderstanding this idea. They both have different reasons for misunderstanding it, right? Uh, but it's amazing to see conservatives, you know, like President Bush, thinking like, you know, freedom is natural, therefore, when we free people from a tyrant, they're just going to be free. And you think, oh, wait, this is ordered liberty. People need to know how to do it themselves. It's not just going to happen, right. you know? It's like giving yeah. a kid a gun. Like, you, you can't just say, hey, here you go. Figure it you, out. You have to, it has to be part of the whole culture. Right. And uh, so we had, you know, neocons not getting that and suddenly seeing like, whoa, just because they can vote they could vote in somebody worse than the person they had before. And, they and did why, in don't some we, why don't we know this? Well, we didn't know it because we ourselves forgot how freedom on the American model works. And the fact that we had our own leaders not getting this stuff tells you how far we've slid. So unless really the people of God should be the ones to really understand this better than anybody, but unless we get this, and again, it's why I wrote my book, If You Can Keep It, because I said... If we don't keep it, it goes away, and it's our responsibility. I feel like we're at the last exit before the toll. Like, it's, it's over. If we don't take this really seriously now, this has been going away for a while, and it's going to be irretrievable. Hmm. I put everything I think that's necessary on this subject in the book, If You Can Keep It. It's a short book, and it's easy to read. And I said, I just want to kind of put the basics in there so people can kind of get it. But I talk about it on my radio program all the time. I have guests, you know, uh, all kinds of guests who, who bring nuances to it that, you know, that I, that I can't. And on my program, I like to talk to people that you don't see very often on even conservative media, people that I think when you're a real truth teller, it makes people nervous. And I, I like to talk to those, to those people. So I've had some people on my program that you won't see really at this point anywhere else. And, but I, I talk to a lot of different kind of people. I mean, I talk to people about politics. I talk to people a lot about Christian faith. But I also talk to people about history. Uh, I interviewed someone very recently who wrote a glorious biography of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. My favorite poem is Paul Revere's Ride. And there's a whole chapter in If You Can Keep It on the poem Paul Revere's Ride and how we need to teach these kinds of poems and things to our kids so that they love America and how important it is to love your country and what, the, what it means to love your country. It doesn't mean yeah. my country right or wrong, but it means I love my country the way I love my family, that even with their faults, I love them. Yeah. And um, the guy who wrote this biography, it was such a beautiful book. So, you know, I don't know if he's any kind of a believer or where he is politically, but he wrote this beautiful book. And so I had a wonderful um, conversation with him. But I really talked to a lot of different people. You know, I talked to singers. I talked to new singers, old singers. Uh, you know, I had a number of wonderful conversations recently with Pat Boone. What a blast yeah. talking to him. He knew everybody. He knew, like, Elvis. He knew the Beatles. He knew, like, he just knew everybody. And so I, I really, really enjoy mixing it up on the program. I should say, if people want to find me, they just go to my website, ericmetaxas.com, and uh, I sent out a week weekly newsletter where I post the videos of all my interviews because all this stuff is done on video and on the radio. It's on the radio, but you can watch the videos. Um, but I think it's important to bring our faith into every part of life, not just to talk about my faith, but to talk about economics, to talk about 
politics to talk about sports and culture and books and ideas and a lot of history and stuff. So I, I do try to, to do that. And I like to kid around. So on the program, a lot of times, you know, we joke around because I think it's important to be emotionally healthy, to be able to laugh, you know, and sometimes people think I got to be pious. Too serious, yeah. It's like, no, you don't have to be pious. <laughs> you have a millennial daughter. So yeah. how does she and her friends sort of interpret the things that you're doing and the conversations that you're having and those topics that you're covering? I think that they're part of, you know, that, that kind of larger crowd where they're, they're, they're watching, but they're, they're kind of wary of being tagged that way. They're, they're still kind of looking at it because uh, there is a price to pay in those, in those circles. And, you know, Jesus says, count the cost. And I remember, you know, around my 25th birthday, I had this born-again experience, which I'm going to write about in my next book, you know, this amazing miracle of God that came into my life. And, and there's a cost when you suddenly come out publicly, like, I'm born again, and I believe in the sanctity of life in the womb, and I believe in a biblical view of sexuality and whatever. A lot of people you're going to find out they weren't really your friends or they're going to think you went crazy or whatever. So I appreciate how tough it is for for younger people uh, because they don't, they're they're trying to figure it out and they're they're probably thinking, you know, maybe there's a way around this or something. Like they don't, they don't know yet and stuff. And so I I, I think that uh, the older you get, the more you kind of bump into reality and the more clear it becomes, like that there's some people that are just flat out crazy and there's some people that seem to make sense. But you need the, the more you live, the more kind of a track record you have. So we'll, we'll see uh, how, how all of these uh, young people that we've gotten to know, how they proceed in life. But we're there praying for them. Mm. The first question I wanted to ask you was, you're in New York. How has quarantine been for you and your family? Great. For me, the shutdown, all of our speaking engagements like ended. Now that's a big way that I pay the rent. So this was like, this was serious. Like, whoa, what's going on? And it was, it was bad in that sense. Cause you're thinking like, holy cow, I'm going to be home now. I usually be traveling every week and speaking and whatever, but God gave me an amazing piece. And first of all, I started writing and I thought, Hey, I have time to write that I don't have when I'm running around. So I'm, um, I finished my book, uh, which is coming out in January, which is called Fish Out of Water, A Search for the Meaning of Life. And that's kind of my memoir, the story of my coming to faith and everything. Uh, and then I'm working on another book called Is Atheism Dead, which really talks about all the scientific discovery and archaeological discoveries and all the other things, the arguments when you start realizing, oh my gosh, it might have been possible to be an intellectually satisfied atheist years ago but today you got to stick your head in the sand because it's not looking good for your side and i mean that that's an understatement it's like it's dramatic the evidence for 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 yeah. god you Unless know you, you can argue it. about the god but you you, <laughs> yeah. you you can't argue about whether yeah. there's a god or whether there's an intelligence it's just it's gotten overwhelming most people don't know that most christians don't really know that so i thought i got to write a book about that so the covid time has been a blessing because it's been quiet and the hugest blessing of course is our daughter came home from college so you know, to, to have her around, you know, during those months and stuff. It was just a, a kind of a Sabbath for us as a family that I 
really uh, will will always treasure. And it was just like kind of beautifully quiet and stuff. So it's kind of like you know it it was all right. Staycation. It was yeah. Good. Well, I always say to people, please go to my website. It's ericmetaxas.com because I do send out a newsletter once a week that has every single interview video form. And I promise you, I've had some guests, I can't think right now, but I've had some amazing guests. In fact, one I'll remember, um, a couple, a, a black guy and a white guy who had a miraculous experience together over a number of years that is so insane I would say if you just watch that video, it will change your view of America and of what God is doing with racial reconciliation. It is stunning, miraculous story. That was a few weeks ago. But if you if you look me up online, ericpataxis.com, sign up for the website. There's just, you know, we, all our stuff is on YouTube. But I do this stuff because I want to share it because I know you're not going to get it off of the TV typically. So I just ask people, uh, you know, to avail yourself of, of what I've been putting out there because I do think it will bless you and help you share what you think with people that might not agree with you. Well, I appreciate your time. I know you've, uh, you've got to hit the road soon. Eric Metaxas, thank you for joining me. My brother, it's a privilege anytime. Thank you. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. By subscribing, you make sure you never miss an episode. It's delivered to you as soon as we release it. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Check out our show notes for more information on resources from today's guest. As always, Thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.